Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Public Handicapper Podcast. On the PH Pod, we handicap the most interesting stakes around the country. This is show number 50, January 31st, 2020. I'm Scott Carson, founder of Public Handicapper, and I'm joined by my co-host, Hall of Fame handicapper, Chris Larmy. Chris, are you excited for the NHC next week? Definitely, definitely. I'm really looking forward to heading out there. It's always a great time. I mean, it's it's an event where you get to see lots of people you don't see every day, especially for me living out here in the Pacific Northwest. It, it's just a great event, and I think it's really all focused around horse players. So if you are a horse player, you definitely want to get there as many times as you can. If you haven't ever tried, I suggest you make that one of your goals for 2020. Make it to the NHC. And hopefully we'll see you there in Las Vegas, if not this year. Speaking of the NHC, please note that we will not have a show next week because we will be participating in the NHC. However, at the end of this podcast, about 15 minutes before the end, Chris and I go over a few tips for strategies for the NHC, for doing well at the NHC. So... Feel free to give a listen to those, and we'll see you in two weeks, and we'll continue with the pod now. And this week, we have a special guest. She's a partner in the handicapping tool provider, Optics EQ. She does the Optics Notes for Santa Anita, Oaklawn, and Laurel. She also does the Brisnet Daily Selections for Santa Anita and the Race Day Analysis for Oaklawn Park. She's Emily Gullickson. Emily, welcome to the PH Pod. Oh, thank you so much. This is uh, my first time on the show and uh, I'm excited about it. So thank you guys for asking me to be a part of it. Fantastic. So I uh, just have a couple of questions for you and, and Chris may have questions as well. But the first question I have, which you may have answered many times, but not in the context of our pod is how did you get started playing the horses? Um, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a, a long story and a short story. Um, sort of randomly it was just sort of uh I, I just sort of fell into it at a, a part of my life where I wasn't really looking for it and just kind of went to the track with my mom and she showed me the racing form and I'm like wow the racing form is amazing and I want to learn more about this but the longer part of that is I rode horses since I was younger um being around horses was my passion kind of like a, a big part of like you know being a being a small kid freedom being at the barn and being away from your parents and being around horses and a lot of like grow up and development with that. Um, my background is in exercise science. So when just sort of everything in my life kind of came together, it just sort of all kind of made sense with, uh, with the horses. And I, I didn't really think at the time, well, I'm going to, you know, do this even as a hobby or as a passion or a profession or whatever, it just kind of, uh, materialized. 
All right. Well, that's as good a way as any to, to get into the horses, and we're glad to have you. Uh, another question I have for you, and Chris might want to jump in uh, after this, but uh, I know that the the optics plot, it has been explained to me by Chris before, and when I was at the final table in the NHC, Garrett Skiba was standing right next to me, and he was looking at optics as he played. And I just want to ask you, how can you summarize the easiest way to read the optics plot, squares versus circles? Um, you know, just uh, like if, if if you could only look at the plot for for a couple of minutes and just have one takeaway, what's the best way to read it? Um. So yeah, the uh, I mean, <laughs> the, the quick answer. Um. So optics plot is it's a pace tool. So when I'm kind of looking at it real quick, um, before I kind of like deep dive into handicapping or even deep dive into pace, is it just gives me a picture of kind of like what is this race shape going to look like? Are we going to have a, a you know, a contested hot pace? Is this a race that's going to melt down? And so just kind of looking at it quick, um, that's sort of where I start handicapping the race, basically, you know, when I have to handicap days in advance, is to just get an overall feel of, of kind of what is this race shape going to look like? And then from there, uh, you know, break it down. So that's sort of the short answer before getting into like, you know, the circles and squares and, uh, and, and things like that. But sort of the overall is it's a pace tool and um, it's going to give you a, a, a quick of what uh, a potential outcome for today's race. Okay. Chris, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Because I know you use the optics plot at least some of the time. Yeah, I think we we could spend the whole show talking about the optics plot because <laughs> it is fairly unique and there's a lot of information packed into a, a real nice visual representation. But I think the one other thing I would add is that in addition to sort of the, the race shape, it gives you a sense for which horses um, have some finish in them versus which ones tend to put the parachute out when they turn for home. So not only do you get a sense for how the race shape is going to take um, shape, but also which horses, if they're in a battle, are likely to have something left for that stretch run and which ones are probably going to spit the bit. Um, and it does it in a real, you know, in-your-face um, visual way. So those are the sort of the two things I think you get um, out of just at a, at a glance when you look at the plot. Absolutely. I, I agree with that, Chris. And, and, and part of that is, you know, two things. is It's, it's a pace tool that it's not – it's not completely static. I, mean, I know it's on like a, a web page, so you know it doesn't really have like moving parts on that front. But there's so many dimensions to it as far as like first call, second call, you know, stretch run, finishing position, and then the unique factor that um, the circles, the squares, their position on where they lay out on the plot are all in relation to each other in the race, right? So you have a horse that's maybe been on the lead in the past, but and we'll kind of see this as we, we go through these races. I'll, I'll touch on it a little bit. Um, if they've been on the lead in a race that's, uh, uh, you know, a lower level claiming race, maiden claiming race, and then they step up into graded stakes, that horse might not be on the lead anymore. That makes sense, right? So even though it's going to look in the form, kind of the standard running lines, you're going to see those ones, one, one, when that horse is in a competition, with horses that are much faster, you're going to see where that horse is not necessarily quick enough to get the lead. Um, a lot of value to optics plot. And, and right. on top of that, you'll see that if it's a horse that doesn't have finish, it's going to be behind horses, and you know it never finishes. So you can pretty much toss that horse. 
Absolutely. Um, and that's where it becomes more of like a, you know, a gambling tool is where, you know, a lot of the times you're going to make, you know, make good bets or your trifecta exact is super is, is you want to eliminate horses, right? That's a good strategy for, for wagering is as many horses in the race that you can completely X out. This horse is not going to finish in the top two, top three, top four. That's going to really make your bets stronger um, and just more efficient. So again, another benefit to optics plot. All right. Well, um, I have been meaning to, to use the optics plot and, and learn it and spend the time on it because I know Chris does uh, really well summarizing a race, but I just haven't found the time. And unfortunately I don't have any time between now and the NHC, but, um, but I'll be sitting with Chris so uh, I can get his opinion. So today we are covering the Swale and Holy Bowl from Gulfstream on February 1st, Saturday, and the three stakes from Santa Anita on Saturday, February 1st. We will start with the ninth race at Gulfstream Park. It's the Swale Stakes, seven furlongs on the dirt, a purse of 150000 for three-year-olds. Emily, as our guest on the pod, you get to start. Who do you like here? Um, yeah, so <laughs> that's such an uh, easy question to say. Um, I think this is, is a really interesting race. I kind of had more fun handicapping this race than um, I did with the Holy Bowl. And I think there's a, there's a lot going on here. And um, sort of my process, I know this isn't your stuff of doing this but it's more of the way that I work so I've got to kind of work backwards is to to start with the favorite and go backwards so um it's probably going to be a toss-up between um Untitled coming off the big maiden win and green light go um both those horses I think you know they have a chance they're legit um in this race um but they both have questions I mean you have Untitled who's coming off off a, coming off that big maiden win where he was able to get the lead. Um, he did break a little bit slow, which is going to kind of get into a horse I'm going to talk about in a second. Um, green light go. He's got the class of the field. He's already been kind of tested at this level. Um, kind of the right style. Finds a good spot to come back in, but does have the layoff. Um, one horse I'm... So there's two horses that I'm, I'm interested in this race. One is... Um, mischievous Alex and I'm going to kind of go against optics plot in here because optics plot has um untitled um as kind of the strong pace setter in this race he's a big square in quadrant one um but I I think there's a lot of really sneaky speed on number one mischievous Alex from the rail and um this horse just kind of going back and watching his races he was able to make he's he has tons of gate speed so he's got that naturally from the inside. Ortiz um, is probably going to take advantage of that. He was allowed to actually run on the front end in the Parks Juvenile. His races in the past, um, I don't know what these jockeys were doing, but they were doing him no favors. So I think this horse is going to be the controlling speed in here. And obviously he's got to kind of transfer his form from um, tracks that sometimes can be a little bit tough to transfer their form to. to Gulfstream Park, but I think he's a big threat on the front end and can kind of sneak away. Um, another horse that I think is just going to 
find a really good trip and probably is not the trip that people are going to expect is number six, Nectar Island. He's been forwardly placed in a lot of his races, but I don't think that's naturally, um, you know, a, a style that he has to be stuck with. I think he can stalk. I think he can pounce. He's got some stamina and is just a, a great fit at this, um, at this distance. All right, Chris, where did you land here? Well, I share some of the same opinions. I am actually a little more negative on Greenlight Go. Not that I don't think he's a good horse, but his current speed figures don't um, lay over this field. In fact, he's not even the fastest horse in the race. And this is clearly a prep. This, you know, he's a a Triple Crown sort of on the Triple Crown trail already. This is his comeback at seven furlongs. This is to get him started on the right track um, towards bigger targets down the road. So I'm always against that kind of horse. It doesn't mean he's not ready, but he's not going to be 100% cranked up for this race. And like I said, if he doesn't run a career best, he probably doesn't win this race. So you know, I'm willing to take a shot against him. Untitled, I'm a little more ambivalent. You know, He could be a freak, a monster. Um, he ran that big race. I, I imagine he got sold for a big price and now he's in the Cassie stable and they're going to look be looking to get some of that investment back right away so but I'm always leery about these horses who get um you know an easy lead and a fairly slow pace um against weak competition when they step up so I'm willing to try to beat those two like Emily said though either one could win but I think they'll both be underlays um I like mischievous Alex just because my son's name is Alex and he was very mischievous so you know, sort of the hunch play for me. But the one thing I don't like about him is his two best races are at parks, and that parks form just has a habit of not transferring to other tracks. I'm not exactly sure why, but I'm always a little leery about playing those horses. It's all about the price, but at 7 to 2 in the morning line, if that holds up, I'm not real interested in him, although, again, he could win. Um, so the horse that I kind of, landed on was the seven horse enter Miami he started out and it with this romping win and a maiden claimer you know he kind of was a put over he won for fun at four to one even with Irad on board and then they 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 got excited and they stepped him up in a really tough spot going from six furlongs to a mile in a stakes race off a maiden claiming win and he caught a pretty salty. It wasn't a graded stakes, but chance it was in there. If seen on TV, pretty nice horse. And he, you know, ran pretty well. He chased those two kind of wide throughout, got tired at the end. And he wasn't that good enough to win that day, but I think he probably got a lot out of that race. That was only his second start, you know, his first time going a mile. And um, I think he'll get a lot of fitness um, from that race. And he came back with a nice workout since then, and now he cuts back to seven furlongs, draws a nice outside post. He loses his Irad. Irad jumped on Mischievous Alex, which is not too surprising. But Paco Lopez, you know, he's, he's fine. He's a good enough rider, and this, his horse is going to be forwardly placed. You know, he might get caught wide again, and they might go too fast early. But if he gets the right kind of trip, I think he'll improve quite a bit off of his last race. He is the kind of horse that will get completely overlooked in this field. 
So that's the kind of horse I'm a little more interested in, although I'm not sure I'm going to play this race. But if I do, that's probably the horse I would key around, the number seven, Enter Miami. All right. Well, I landed on a horse that neither of you two has mentioned, and I will get on with it. I, I was against this horse in his last race. He was the three to five favorite, so that's a good reason to be against. But I also thought he was going to be near the lead in a pace, a hot pace race, and he was breaking from the inside. The horse is the five, Chivalry. I was actually very impressed that he won the race. He broke slowly. He was behind a sizzling pace, and clearly it was a setup for him. However, he's not that kind of horse. It's not like he needs the setup. His best race was at seven furlongs, and he was on the lead. So I'm just I'm, – I'm impressed with this horse's versatility, and I think he's six to one morning line, and you'll probably get that. I think he's got enough speed to sort of stay in touch, be dangerous if – it turns out that there's not a hot pace, which I think there will be a pretty hot pace. Uh, so, so I think I'm going to like him no matter where he is in the race. I'm going to like him because I think he has a shot on the lead or coming off the pace. Um, his two races in November, which were very close to each other, uh, only a week apart. That's one of the reasons why I was against him, but it clearly did not have an effect on him. And in his last race, he ran a little bit slower. And if you look at the buyer figures, he went from an 88 to a 79 in his last race. So it was clearly a slower race. And that's okay because I, expect him to, I expected him to react to the two big races that he ran in November. But now that he's had the off race, which he won by three lengths, he's ready to run a new top. And he's a half to Garter and Ty, who was a very fast three-year-old. He's still running as a four-year-old. And um, I, this, this is my pick. And then, and then I'm, I'm going to add a, one horse that I think is uh, very interesting underneath use at a huge price, and that is the three flash pass. He, he won his first race by 12 lengths. He was claimed. It was a maiden 12,000. He looked really good in the race, though. I, I really like the way he looked. And his gallop out was just fantastic. He just kept on going. I was impressed that he started at six and a half furlongs and then won that race from the outside. And this trainer, Ephraim Loza, is three for five at the meet. He's 35% off the claim. I think this horse has upside and his mother and relatives were pretty fast. And I think it might be a little bit too much to ask him to win this race at 30 to one, but I think he's a use underneath. If you like any horses in this race and want to bet it, he's a use underneath the three flash pass. Can I, can I add something? I, don't, I know we want to move on, but... Uh, oh, yeah, so no, no, no. We always uh, we always do a little bit of uh, back and forth. So, yeah, cool. go ahead. Okay. Add, add away. Um, because I, I, I want to I touch on Shivery because I, I think he's a super interesting horse, but I kind of disagree with your form cycle analysis. Um, not... And obviously, we'll see, we'll see on the race day, but I kind of saw it a, a little bit different. 
Um, coming into, he had those two big races, as you mentioned, in November. And, um, and then the fact that he won last time out by changing, by changing his run style, and some of that was kind of due to a very fast early pace that he just wasn't able to kind of keep up with, which sort of allowed him to, to trap behind those horses. And he gave a big effort in order to win. I mean, it was, it was a solid effort. I can't knock that. But what I, what I am concerned with is that it's more taxing than necessarily it looks as far as just going off the numbers. Because the fact that he did have those two big races and because he did have to change run styles and just sort of his overall visuals. I don't know if you went back and, and well, obviously you watched it live. But um, so that just kind of concerned me a little bit. And the fact that just sort of overall, where where is he going to be in terms of trip? Um the races that he was on the lead, um, if they were a little bit softer paces, and if uh, mischievous Alex kind of shows the speed that he did in the Parks Juvenile, he's going to be pretty tough, and they're going to be paces going to be pretty fast, um, along with some of the other classier horses. Um, and then just as far as uh, flash pass, I mean, he's a huge price, so I you know I can't knock that. But that race has been really soft going forward, and he, you know. Obviously, underneath, any horse can run underneath, so I can't really, you know, I can't really argue on that um, too much either. But that was just sort of the one thing I wanted to touch off on, chivalry. All right, and and I did want to ask you, Emily, for purposes of uh, touting picks on the pod, which horse do you like the best, Mischievous Alex or Nectar Island? Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess if we're, I don't know. I mean, um... Without having without having odds, I, I I don't know. I kind of like both. So whichever one's longer priced, I'm gonna guess Nectar Island. But I guess sort of the the sort of overall opinion um, goes with Chris is that both the horses that are gonna be short prices, um, you know, kind of have have some questionable aspects. So that's sort of more my opinion than actually having a pick is the fact that um, both those horses are are probably worth taking on a little bit. Okay, so we'll 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 say Necker Island slightly because he's likely to be a better price. We haven't Can talked I, about Untitled, but yeah, go ahead, Chris. I just wanted to say that on Chivalry, I'm with Emily. I think he's over the top. I think those are three big efforts in a short period of time, and I'd be surprised if he. I mean, if he runs back to those races, he certainly fits, but. I'm a neg I have a negative read on his form. I, I don't expect him to run big in here. So I'm kind of, for all the reasons that Emily said, really, um, I'm kind of in her camp on that one. All right. So very interesting. That's going to make that race a lot more. <laughs> it's going to make that race a lot more interesting. Not to uh, gang up on you or anything. Now, the, the um, thing about Untitled... I we, we need to mention, we need to just mention a couple things about Untitled because when I was first handicapping the race, I was like, oh my God, this horse is phenomenal. He ran six tenths of, of a second faster than Ladies Island, who's a hugely accomplished stakes sprinter who had won like, that was like her fourth win in a row or something like that. Uh, that day he ran in, you know, faster than Ladies Island. He ran a sub 12 second final eighth, according to time form adjusted fracks. He stretches to six furlongs, which is a negative, And he also did ride a speed flow, according to racingflow.com. So that is a negative. But 
But other than that, it was pretty a sensational race. And I, I get, you know, that he's going to be three to one or so, maybe even less based on that. But do we have, any, you know, I don't know, any other any other uh, thoughts on this horse? I mean, he if 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 he had gotten a thoroughgraph speed figure, I calculated it to come in at about one. And I'm not sure why they didn't give it a speed figure, but. But it, based on Ladies Island getting her her big speed figure that day and and him running faster than Ladies Island, he got a sensational fig. So uh, any any further thoughts on Untitled? Yeah, I mean, oh. I, I kind of mentioned this real quick when I was going through. Um, you know, he had he had a made the lead after a slow break, so he's kind of pushed out and had that, uh, I agree with racing flow and uh, optics has it the same way. He was able to get away with uh, a very slow opening half mile. So that does contribute to the finish when you're able to walk early, especially when you're uncontested, that's going to help your finish. Right. Um, so I think both those factors, and I think when you're comparing horse to horse, you have to add, you know, you have to add that trip element, like was the stress a factor. And for him, he didn't have any stress. Um, as far as like, as far as trip, um, if he breaks slow and with mischievous Alex to his inside, a horse that has natural gate speed, um, he, he's not going to get the lead. And, and so from there, he's going to have, you know, he's not going to have the lone trip that he was able to get that huge speed figure and run that big race with. And he's going to have to show uh, a different dimension and just, you know, with one race and seeing how he did it the first time out, um, that's. That's a question. That's something you have to factor going into this race. Can he win? Absolutely. But um, again, then it just comes down to what price you want to take. All right. Well, that's a legitimate uh, analysis, and uh, I totally appreciate it. Um, Chris, anything to add on that? Just that any time a horse gets an easy lead on slow fractions, and that's their only start, and you know they're going to get take money the next time out it's just for me an almost automatic play against because you don't know how he's going to do if he gets challenged with a hot pace or if he doesn't get the lead and has to rate i mean he may be really good and and do well in those conditions but you don't know so i'd rather bet against him and, and say that he he might not handle it um than bet on him at a short price so that's it's that's just kind of the way i look at it all right prop bet just to make it interesting, flash pass or untitled, who finishes first? Well, <laughs> I would say untitled. Um, I, yeah. I'm going to say flash pass. Okay. No, 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 no bet, no stakes on this one. But I, right. I, I, I uh, especially after hearing Emily's uh, really cogent analysis there. On Untitled. Now I'm I'm very anti-Untitled at this point. If he did really one run uh, about a one, and under those incredible conditions, he's likely to react significantly, stretching out to seven furlongs at what will be a low price. Uh, I agree. I just don't think Flash Pass is uh, a very fast horse. But yeah, if Untitled gets in a speed duel and he can't handle it, Flash Pass. Um, sits off and clunks up he could be he could finish ahead of him sure yeah i don't think yeah. he's going to win the race but he could finish ahead of him 
All right. Well, we'll move then to the 11th race at Gulfstream Park. It's the Holy Bull Stakes, a mile and 16th on dirt, a purse of 250000 for three-year-olds. Chris, let's get you to chime in first on this one. All right. I don't have a real strong opinion in this race. Um, Tis the Law is a heavy favorite. He's a good horse. Um but he is coming off a layoff. This is his first star as a three-year-old. He's giving weight. He's three to five on the morning line, which seems kind of crazy. But, uh, again, the kind of horse I don't mind taking a shot against. He could win. I, the problem is I don't love anybody um, after him. Uh, the horse I probably would go with is Ete Indian, who – uh, really, it, his last race, all I can describe, it was kind of weird. I mean, this horse is really bred for the turf. And he had been a, a kind of a deep closer on the turf and ran pretty well. And then they tried him on the dirt, and he goes to the lead and wires the field um, with a big number. So I, I just don't know what to make of that, but he definitely ran a big race in his first dirt try. I don't think he has to have the lead, um, although – you never know what turf horses and kickback. You know, he could be a different horse if he gets some dirt in his face. But um, to me, that's an interesting horse. Uh, it may get overlooked. It may not. I don't know. It doesn't have glamorous connections. But um, being Cone has been pretty hot this um, meet at Gulfstream. So if I had to play somebody, it would probably be the four horse. But I'm not real excited about this race, to be honest. All right. Emily, what did you think? Um, I like the horse that finished behind Ete Indian in Toledo, um, who's probably going to be another short priced and maybe for the opposite reason, just sort of based on connections. But I liked his race last time out. Um, and I, I, I like the development and I think he's going to appreciate going this extra set of ground, which, which is probably a concern more than anything with Tis the Law. I think he's a good horse. I think he fits on numbers. I think he fits on class. But the two-turn question, um, you know, I need to see it. I know the one race in the slot, but that's just sort of my, my reservation with the short price with him. Um, Toledo, you know, his race was, was kind of a sneaky good race. That was a really fast pace, really honest pace um, through the middle. And he kind of had to race a little bit closer than maybe ideally he wanted to. And I think he got something out of that race, showed a good finish. Um, whereas the finish with uh, Ete Indian, you know, he's drifting all over the track. He's on the wrong lead. Um, that kind of stuff. Maybe that makes a difference when you're going from the one turn flat eight furlongs at Gulfstream Park to two turns, um, which is what they're going to be doing this afternoon. Um, so I just I like the development on on Toledo coming into this race. Um, overall, not not any you know super strong opinions. Um, John Doyle wrote up this race for optics. Um, he's giving a push to a relentless dancer. Um, and then for a horse underneath, I you know developing. I don't think he's he's quite there yet, but maybe finds uh, finds a trip and the distance to his liking is uh, Mayberry Deputy. Okay, I will say about Ete Indian, who initially really impressed me. But the gallop out, he he was not only passed by other horses, but he seemed to be like twisting his head, like like he seemed pretty shocked that he had just ran such a fast race. So, so I I I I read it as a negative, and I think he's a little bit more likely to bounce. But if he is six to one, then 
he's uh, certainly a use because that was a pretty impressive race. I do want to say a few things about Tis the Law. Even he's a three to five morning line. Maybe that's what he'll be. He could be a little higher than that. He's supposed to romp. He's significantly faster than any of these. In his first two races, he ran faster than than any of these horses ran. And then he goes to Churchill Downs, where he's stuck on the inside. So it's his first time two turns, which that's a, that's reason enough to go against him. But he's also in the slop, and he's stuck on the inside the whole time. He cannot run. When he finally does get a chance to run, he's got – the starch has been taken out of him. He's just like – Oh, oh, am I supposed to go now? Uh, like he, he, he gave it up. So, so to me, like that, that's what exactly was supposed to happen. He was supposed to lose in that race and, and now he's supposed to improve dramatically. And, um, off of that, he'll improve dramatically in his second two turn race. The negatives are that he carries 124. He tends to find trouble and he's, He's similar to Funny Side in that he's owned by Sakatoga. They're very high on him. They're probably more high. People are more high on this horse than they were with Funny Side. But Funny Side was not a win machine. He won his three races as a two-year-old. And then in this race, he was fifth. And I, I don't know if he was the favorite, but he was fifth. He probably was the favorite. And then he went on to the Louisiana Derby, like they're saying Tisla is going to do, and he finished third. And then he was second in the Wood Memorial. Now, he was running really nice speed figures in all those races, so he was improving, and, and, and that's why he won the Derby, because he was fast enough to win. But I guess the reason I'm bringing it up is because this isn't the main objective for Tis the Law, and, and, and based on funny side and and also that Tisla kind of tends to kind of find some trouble he stumbled in his last race you know his race before so there's reasons to to dislike Tisla however if i play the pick 5 i will absolutely include Tisla i'm not going to toss him the horse that i'm going to make my pod pick will be relentless dancer uh, he's improved every race he won his last race by uh, 10 lengths or so and it was going two turns. It was only a seven for a long race, but it was going two turns. And I think it's very important that a horse ha has run two turns before this race, you know, before you know, going into this race, unless they have like great spacing or unless they're trained by Todd Pletcher. And Toledo, I think, hasn't run two turns, but Chad Brown will be able to stretch him easily off the amount of rest that he's had. Um, but Relentless Dancer, just he's he's an impressive horse, and he was only three to five in his last race. Maybe he was four to five, but he just he 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 won with a hand ride. He galloped out well. I I think that that horse has the best chance at a price to beat Tis the Law. So on Relentless Dancer, the reason I didn't like him is he's bred sprint top and bottom. So you think he's going to stretch out? to um, a mile and a 16th against graded stakes company? Uh, right. Let me look at my breeding because I think – 
while you guys are looking at breeding, it's not something that I look at. <laughs> I've actually watched this horse. Um, he's kind of a, a longer type. I, there's nothing about him physically, like looking at him, that, that strikes me as one that's like, distance is going to really get the, the best of him here. I'm more concerned about him in terms of class coming out of those races. The horses that um, finished behind him in the Louisiana Legacy Stakes, a lot of those horses went over to fairgrounds and didn't do anything. Um, you know, obviously he was much the best in that field, so it's, it's hard to compare, but this is a major class test for him. So as far as distance, there's nothing to this point um, that really says, like, I don't think he can do it. Uh, visually, it's a, it's still questionable about Tis the Law. Um, Toledo, he looks like a horse he's going to go two turns. That's sort of more what I go off of. But um, hopefully that bought you some time, Scott, to, to find your notes on pedigree. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yeah, I'll say a couple things. Uh, you know, the bottom, on the bottom side, I don't see relatives having run faster on route than than turf uh route than sprint so so on that point you're correct that on the bottom side he may be a little bit sprinty his sire midshipman who's a son of unbridled song he hits at 16 percent with his progeny that run at less than a mile and 16 percent that run at a mile and over so i so i i think he i'm kind of neutral on that breeding um, let's put it this way. If I play the pick five, I will use the two of them, but I'm also not that excited about relentless dancer. But I will say one thing in his favor, sort of to counter what Emily said, the, the Delta downs race, you know, the competition wasn't there, but he trounced them. But his race before that at Churchill, he was in against some nice horses that have come back to run well, like silver state and Bango. So, I mean, he, he did run against some pretty good horses at Churchill and ran well. So, you know, he might be able to class up. I just think midshipman. Uh, good point. Is, good point. So, I, I, from a class, if it was seven furlongs, I'd be more high. I'd probably want to play Relentless Dancer. I'm just two-turn horse off the breeding. And I, I, I'm not so good at look, taking a look at how they're, they're built and how they'll run. But just midshipman. From a percent standpoint, he might be the same, but from a figure standpoint, his horse is, you know, I can't think of one good two-turn horse that he's sired before. Um, there probably is one out there, but they don't jump out at me. And certainly Benchmark is a sprinter. So, you know, I just think this horse is kind of sprinty on the breeding side. But I, from a class standpoint, I don't, I don't think he's that bad, really. All right. Well, you're not a great race because Tizalaw does look pretty tough, but we'll move on to the next race, which is another one of these three-year-old races where it's a small field and we do have some, a significant favorite. That is the sixth race at Santa Anita, the Robert B. Lewis stakes at a mile and a 16th on dirt purse of 100,000 for three-year-olds. Emily, why don't you get us started here? Um, I think the uh, morning line favorite in here, Thousand Words, um, is, is pretty legit. He's already been tested at Graded Stakes Company. He ran a big race. He showed a lot of class that afternoon, a lot of development, um, the move forward. I just I think he's he's kind of the horse to beat going into this race. Um, you know, no surprise. Um, one one fuzzy horse um, in here that I 
I like you know, Royal Act. He's going to move to the main track for the first time. He comes out of the same common race as Encoder, the winner of the Eddie Logan Stakes back in on December 29th. I think he's got more upside um, than Encoder coming into this race. There's a, a couple changes. One, I mean, he was it was only his second start in in Stakes Company, a race that. I think he got a lot of benefit from. Um, they're going to add the blinkers here. He's been working in the blinkers. He's been working in company. I know people will see the blinkers and go, oh, he's going he's gonna to show speed and everything like that. He's actually been raiding off his workmates in the morning. So I think he's just going to help put some focus into him. And um, another move forward in here, um, I, I think, kind of puts him in the mix. But um, Thousand Words just seems to have a little bit more of an edge um, so far. All right, Chris, what do you think? Well, I could spend a thousand words on this race, but I probably should just spend two, and those would be thousand words. But um, uh, I, you know, I, the times where I think Baffert's horses look strong as three-year-olds on the dirt at Santa Anita, they probably win ninety-nine out of a hundred, and when I try to bet against him, they probably win ninety-eight out of a hundred. So uh, to me, he just looks awful strong in here. Um, not saying he's invincible, but he looks pretty strong. So I'm not really interested in this race, but if I had to play another horse, it would be the one that, that Emily mentioned. I mean, uh, the encoders just total turf breeding. Um, so I'm not too interested in that horse going to the dirt. Even Royal act is pretty turfy breeding, although he's by American Pharaoh, although American Pharaoh's turned into like a, a turf um, breeding star and he really hasn't thrown much on the dirt yet and i hasn't thrown a whole lot of route horses so you know, he hasn't had much of a chance so we'll give him we'll see what he does but i would i would go with royal act as maybe the one that can run second at a price um i don't see how he's going to beat thousand words unless thousand words just throws a clunker which doesn't happen very often with this sort of horse at this time of year for bob baffert so i'm not really interested in this race at all all right. Well, I am going to pick a different horse over a thousand words, but again, this is another one of those races where if I were to play the pick five, I would certainly include thousand words. There's no negative. He ran a little faster going two turns for the first time and was pretty game when I know door kind of came up to him and tried to pass him. He didn't let the horse pass. And then he galloped out fine. So Thousand Words pretty much has no blemishes. So I, I wouldn't toss him. But for purposes of the pod, I am going to take Tis Magician. I really liked his last race. He There was an interview with Mandela, and he was trying blinkers, and then he took him off. And he wasn't sure what was going on with his horse. He, he, he thought that, that he was a talented animal, but wasn't sure how to get him to win the race. And that's why it took him a, a many races to break his maiden. Well, I think he kind of broke through last race. He, he won by two or three lengths and it was a solid number, which not that much slower than thousand words. And I really loved the gallop out. I mean, he just kept on going and going and going. So he extended his lead from like three lengths to 10 lengths on the gallop out. So for that reason alone, and just seeing that he's kind of a solid hard hitter, 
I, I think that if any horse is going to beat Thousand Words, it, it could be Tis a Magician. And he gets four pounds from Thousand Words. So so if he does improve and Thousand Words doesn't improve off his last race, uh, Tis a Magician's legit, I think. I guess, um, you know, you, you said if he does improve, and that's kind of just my, my overall concern with him, is that he just hasn't shown that improvement Um from really any of his races. I mean, his his second start, you can draw a line through it. That was a total excuse. But speed figure-wise, um, you know, after the debut, he's maintained, I'm looking at optics figures right now, his numbers 86, 85, 85, 86. Where, where is this improvement coming from? Because he just seems to run the same race every time. And maybe that'll work for him here because it kind of, you know, puts him sort of in the mix with all these other horses. But... At this point, with these horses as they're developing and going from, you know, two to three, they're going to have to take a step forward. He's going to have to take a step forward. And it's just kind of based on that that consistency. Um, where, When and where is it going to come from is just kind of my concern. I think he's going to run a good race, but that's what I need to see from him in order to kind of, like, make him, like, the pick, so to speak. Yeah, I uh, he does show a little progression on buyer. He went from a 64 in his debut to an 82 in October to an 85 in his last race. And and on the sheets, they have his last races not significantly faster, but, you know, a little bit faster than his uh, October race. So I, I think with this horse, it's just a question of the light going on. I, I think the light went on in his last race and I, I would I would say this I wouldn't play this race without using I wouldn't play any pick ends without using this horse. Now he's only 3 to 1. Maybe he'll go off a little higher because you know, 1000 words could get completely crushed. So it's not saying that much, but I think that yeah, I I like him enough that I think I I would have to use him. I I wouldn't single 1000 words in any pick ends. The, the one interesting thing for me in this race is what happens with high velocity because they switched to Joel Rosario and he sort of rides two ways, he either goes to the lead or he drops dead last. And um, the only other speed in this race is thousand words. So I'm not sure what they're going to do with this horse. Will they send him and just let thousand word stocks or like they did last time, or will they try something different? I was sort of surprised that Bafford would run both of them together again um, in this race. So I, that's be just interesting to me to just see what Rosario does on high velocity. That's probably the most interesting part of this race for me. Okay. Well, I think that we've done enough on that race, which isn't that exciting anyway. So we'll go to the seventh race at Santa Anita, which is also a small field, but a, a much more competitive field. It's the San Marcos Stakes, a mile and a quarter on the turf, purse of 200000 for four-year-olds and up. Chris, where did you land here? Well, this is finally a race where I actually like the race and think I, I want to bet it, even though it is a small field. And just a note, campaign was scratched out of this race. So um, he was an early scratch. So it's down to six horses. Uh, United will be the big favorite. Uh, he's a good horse, but you know he's been a heavy favorite. And if you if you don't look, if you ignore his Breeders' Cup race 
you know, he was at Santa Anita and Del Mar. He was a heavy favorite in two races and he lost both of those. So, you know, he's only won one race in his last three. I mean, he hasn't won actually in his last three. He didn't win. He ran really well in the Breeders' Cup, but he totally tripped out in that race. Just had a dream run. So I think that's probably a little better than it looks. So what I'm saying is I don't think he lays over this field as a big favorite. Um, there's just about any horse in this race. If they run a good race and get the trip, could beat him in the small field. The horse I really like, though, is probably going to be the longest shot on the board, and that's the three-horse multiplier. Um, this is the kind of horse I love. Uh, as a four-year-old, he was really good running against the best horses and, you know, holding his own, not necessarily winning a lot. And then he kind of went off form as a four-year-old. He came back as a five-year-old and looked like he was going to have a big season. And then something went wrong and he just never got back to running well. He kind of just had a bad year. And then uh, he changes barns. Now he's with Peter Miller. They come back um, after a layoff. Um, put him on the dirt where he's run some good races on dirt, but I think he's a better on the turf. But he got he has a race under his belt now. He's second off a layoff for Peter Miller, who's done really well before in these with these older horses um, on the turf. You can get them to continue to run well. So you got him second off the layoff. He gets uh, Rispoli, the the rider I like that from the Italian rider who's shown he can ride. Uh, in U.S. racing on the turf, he's put some good rides right, on horses at Santa Anita. Um, the horse draws a good post. Just a lot to like. I think he could run back to his races that he was running as a four-year-old, which gives him a chance to win with a good trip. And at a big price in a short field, I think he's the play. Okay. Emily, what are you thinking here? Um, yeah, I mean, I... I think United is uh, is legit. I mean, I, I think you have to, in terms of class and form, um, you know, he's very logical. He's been running against some some of the best horses, turf horses in training, um, certainly fits in this field. One horse that I think is going to fly under the radar, and I'm not losing the faith on him, I think there's a lot of upside with this horse, is number five, Brown Storm. His first start in the lure, um, he had a very sneaky trip. I mean, you kind of just have to watch it. Um, finished with with a good close, even though it doesn't quite look like it on paper. Um, but there was upside off that. And then heading into the Hollywood Turf Cup, he just did not have any type of trip um, at all. Never kind of really had his chance to run. He got shuffled, um, steadied up behind a backing up rival, and just kind of overall expected to see a rider change. He does get a rider change here, and there's more upside with this horse. I like the way McCarthy's had a good meet so far. He's kind of coming into coming into this race, um, I, I think, sort of on the best of those of those two races and presents some upside into this event in small field. Um, you know, outside of that, I mean, I think the two – Outside of United, Cleopatra Strike, obviously logical, but um, Brown Storm is the horse I'm going to mess around with at a price. All right. Well, I'm going to have a price horse as well, but it's different than both of yours. And there are only so many, there's only six horses in the race. So how many, how many, you can probably figure out who I'm going to pick. And I think actually this horse will be the longest price on the board. And that is the one chosen vessel. 
I really liked the horse in his last race and I bet him, I was in a contest, I bet him and I thought he was getting a beautiful trip on the inside when at the uh, head of the stretch, Tyler Bays decided to sort of yank the reins over to the right. And I think the horse, I think it freaked the horse out. I mean, twice he yanked the reins to the right and, and the horse, like it didn't, it didn't quicken enough. It, it actually just didn't quicken. It, it never did anything. It ran flat after that. And maybe that's the reason for the rider change or, or did he get injured? I think he might've gotten injured because he's, he's, uh, he's at Oakland. No, he's at Oakland. Okay. So, so they certainly didn't um, say, Hey, come on back and ride chosen vessel after that ride. I, I, I thought it was, I didn't like it. And um, I, I thought it really affected the performance, but perhaps that's a blessing in disguise because this horse actually wants longer and gets a mile and a quarter now where he is one for one. He's an English channel out of a Dynaformer mare. He is a little bit slower than these, but he's also carrying 120. And there's no pace at all in this race. So I think he'll either be right on the lead or just off of it. And I, I think this is go time for Chosen Vessel. And I, I, I'm not going to go crazy on the horse because he does have to improve. And, and the other horses look pretty good. But... But this is the one, and and in in a way, like his his best race was two races ago, and that's usually the best way when it, when it, when a horse runs a small improvement, its best race, it, when it runs its, uh, its best race of its life, the next race is often an, an off race, and it looks like he he ran just as fast on buyer because he's got two nineties in his last race. But on the sheets, he actually reacted a little bit in his last race. And and I want to have two-plus months off the small top. So so that'll be my horse, Chosen Vessel. I um, I like Chosen Vessel, too. Um, one point I want to make in his favor is, and I think this is underrated by people, because they think, oh, it's like a mile and a quarter, a mile and a half race post position doesn't matter um but it really does on these three turn races if you can save ground on three turns that's really big in a turf race and when you draw the rail now this race isn't quite three turns i think they start on the hill kind of in the middle of the turn in here on this race but um he's still uh, van dyke values saving ground so this horse is going to get a ground saving trip all the way around some of these horses are going to be in it's a small field, but they're not going to all be on the rail. So he's going to get, um, you know, he's going to get an advantage in terms of ground loss. And I think that can make a big difference around the three turns. And like you said, his best race was a mile and a quarter. He tried to go a mile and a half, got a little tired, but he was on the lead in a, a pretty quick pace for a mile and a half race. And then I think a mile and a six, uh, eighth or, or whatever he ran last time is a little bit too uh, short for him. So I do think this mile and a quarter will will fit him perfectly, and he will be a big price. So I I, I kind of agree with you there. I like multiplier better, but I I like chosen vessel, and I also like the horse for the you know the other horse I'd like to use in here is the one Emily mentioned, Brown Storm. I think he has some upside. 
I think his first two races, um, you know, he did have some, some not the best of trips in either one. Um, I don't, I'm not real familiar with his rider in this race. So I, I'm a little bit reluctant, um, to play that. I'm a rider. I haven't really watched him much, so I don't really know what he's like that and a mile and a quarter race on the turf. The rider can play a big part, but other than that, I, you know, to me, I see some potential there in that Brown storm as well. And if he gets a bad ride and maybe drops down in class a little bit next time, I think he'd be a great play. So I'm kind of with you both. I think we're kind of on the same page, although I'm the only one that's on multiplier. But other than that, I, I'm with you on the, the two horses that you like. One thing, just because I'm kind of a dork about horse racing, and you mentioned like a, with going back to Chosen Vessel, a ground-saving trip, plus also mentioning his best races. And those two things kind of contradict each other. Um, and just something to think about, you know, Scott brought up the trip last time out where he was able to save ground. And it seems that his better races are when he's outside of horses. So, um, you know, I don't know where, you know, if that factors into your handicapping or something that you think of, because yes, typically, you know, saving ground on the turf is where you want to be, but sometimes it goes into an individual horse's style as, as far as some horses just don't like that trip. Um, but yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to diss anybody picking up a long shot horse, but that's just, you know, something that as far as like when you're getting into, you know, horse to horse, why horses run good races, why they run bad races, um, things to keep in mind. Yeah, Um, I get, I get that. Uh, I, I, when I was watching the race, I had told somebody that I, that I really liked the horse and, and afterwards he said, the horse just doesn't like the inside. And I, I said, no, I thought he was getting a beautiful trip. It was, he didn't like being yanked to the right when he really didn't need to be. He just needed to be gently eased to the right. He had room. So being yanked to the right was, uh, I think the horse kind of resented it and was like, what the, you know, what the F? So, so, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to like, you know, yeah, I'm not looking at like a one race sample, but, um, you know, uh, May 11th, 2019, it was a ground saving trip as well as a ground saving trip down the hill back in February. So, um, I don't know. yeah, I, I thought I'll have to watch the replay, but I thought his big race at a mile and a quarter, he ran, he rode the rail. So I'll have to go back and watch that race. But I thought that November race, which I thought was his best race, he, um, rode the rail, but I'll have to go back and check. Um, uh, you might be right about that. If the, if he was wide there, then you might be onto something. I'll have to watch that. Or or free, you know, or kind of a free trip, which is I think he had a perfect trip that day, so he was able to have just kind of a little bit of a, a little bit of freedom in there. All right, All right. I'll, I'll, that'll be worth looking. I'll have to go back and watch. Good point. All right. Well, that brings us to perhaps the best race. It is one of the biggest fields. And it does seem to be a pretty evenly matched field. It's the eighth race at Santa Anita, the San Pasquale Stakes, a mile and an eighth on the dirt, purse of 200000 for four-year-olds and up. Emily, where did you land here? 
Yeah, I, I found this race really tricky. I mean, I like, you know, I like midcourt coming into this race. Um, I think he has upside off of his last race. It was still a really good race considering the trip. Um, sorry, that's my dog making noise in the background. Um, considering trip, he has upside. He's just been progressing progressing with, with each race. Um, so I think he's, he's, you know, he's listed as the morning line favorite. And I think that that's, that that's right. Um, I didn't find any value as far as the kind of the going away from that King Avram restrained vengeance. I'm not really a fan of those two horses overall. I'm not a big fan of roadster either, either. Um, though he does seem to love Santa Anita. So that, that moves him up, but I'm, I'm just not crazy about that horse. Um, Instagram, he seems like he's just kind of off form. I know he's taken a little tiny baby steps forward since coming back, but um, he's going to need another big move forward. This is a big test as far as distance for him. Distance also a concern with uh, California Street and then a couple other fuzzy horses, but one horse worth mentioning at a big price, um, the number two, Route 66. I know he's not... Uh, you know, anything special, obviously a big uh, class test for him taking on graded stakes company has to run the best race of his life. But Brian corner is just lights out right now. He's just been moving horses up like, like no other. And this horse going back to some of his better races um, tends to run well, fresh, um, kind of gets himself in the mix. So at a, at a big price, I think he's going to run, he's going to run a big race, whether it's good enough or not. I don't know, but um, kind of one horse that just wanted to put on people's radar. All right. I, I'm interested in route six, six as well. Chris, where did you land here? Now, I don't have a real strong opinion. They're all, they all look similar to me and they all have some positives and negatives. The favorites, could win, but I'm not real high on, on either one. I probably, I'm with Emily between Roadster and Midcourt. I'd probably go with Midcourt, but not at that price would I ever play him. Um, probably the horse I decided with, I like is the 10 horse combatant. I wish he had a, a different post, but um, he is one of the horses in here that can close. And I think there are some horses in here that are a little suspect of the distance. And it seems like there's plenty of speed. So I think I'll get an honest pace to close into. And hopefully they string out a little bit. And and Graydon Van Dyke um, can save ground. Um, and I, you know, the horse was really a good three-year-old. And he was sort of on the derby trail. But he, he never has really progressed since then, which is unusual for Steve Asmussen. Um, but they changed Barnes to John Sadler and probably I think Sadler's biggest strength is he's taken some of these kinds of horses when they're older and gotten them to really, um, run well. And he puts the blinkers on this horse. He gets a kind of a change of scenery, new barn, um, has that back class. Uh, and this is not really a strong field. I don't think so. Might get completely ignored at the windows and, and, you know, you could maybe take a shot with him, but this race is pretty tough and I'm not real excited about betting it. But if I have to play, I would go with the 10 combatant. Well, I have a pretty, a, a horse that I like in the race and it is Roadster. He's not particularly faster. He's not faster than midcourt and you know, he's, he may be a lower price than midcourt, 
we, we're, we're not sure, you know, he, he did go off at nine to one in a five horse field in his last race versus Omaha beach. He was second to Omaha beach who also galloped out much better than Roadster did. But I do kind of like the form cycle. I like uh, the sort of fourth race off the layoff, ignoring the second race off the layoff, which was a two-turn race on relatively short race uh, rest after uh, uh, his comeback. I, I think Roser's just poised now to run the race of his life. His best figure before the recent two uh, sprints was at a mile and an eighth at Santa Anita. And I, I think he's ready to pop through that. So I think he will be, he, he's, he's, he's clearly the horse that I would play in this race. I, I wouldn't like him if he was under two to one, but at five to two or higher, I think he's, he's worth playing. Uh, Rosario seemed, you know, would fit him. He doesn't have to be as far back as he was in his last race. And, um, even in the Santa Anita Derby, he he wasn't that far back. So if he can bring, if he can sort of blow through that Santa Anita Derby uh, effort, which I, I don't see why he shouldn't as a young four-year-old, I think I think he romps in this race. I do like Route Six Six, and I I mentioned to include him. I suggest including him underneath in the try at 20 to one morning line. He's working up a storm and I, he's always been pretty fast and he's working up a storm. So, so he, he looks really good and combatant. I, I see the case with combatant. There is the question of like, why has he still not run as fast as he did as a young three-year-old? But you you are going to get paid if he finally does, and with the new trainer, that could be what makes the difference. Yeah, one thing I was going to didn't mention on combatant, they've been trying him on the turf a bunch, and he does kind of have turfy breeding, but it's pretty clear he's better on dirt. So I think part of the reason in the last half of the year is he just kept running him on turf. They ran three straight turf races, and then they finally put him back on dirt, which was probably the you know any one. So, you know, I think that that might be part of the reason why he hadn't, at least in the second half of the year, he hasn't been riding quite as well. So that last race, to me, when he, they finally put him back on dirt again um, and he wins is, is encouraging. And now uh, with the blinkers on, added and the new barn shipping him out to Santa Anita, I think um, it's worth a shot. So, I mean, that's that's the excuse I would give him is, and the, the thing is, why are they trying on the turf? I'm saying, think it's because of the, the breeding, but he might might be also that he has foot issues or something, and and they're trying to you know, keep him off the dirt. We'll see. But he has been freshened up, um, and I think he's worth a price. And I I agree with you guys. We I didn't weigh in on Route 66, but Corner is hot. The horse has been working well, and it could improve off its best race, which is in the ballpark to win the race. And he drew a good post. So, yeah, I could see a, a case for that horse at a big price. Well, one thing about Combatant is it wasn't necessarily that they, they put him on the dirt last time out because that was entered to be a turf race. Um, and I, I kind of see the, the as far as like the move to the turf um, with the horse like this a little bit on the desperate side because they've been running him on the dirt. 
and this is going back to, to his three-year-old year and just not quite getting there. And so the move to the turf is like, we got to try, we got to try something, right? Cause like where we're at, we have this horse place. It's just not, it's just not working. Um, and I think that that kind of goes with just sort of the overall changes that you see as far as the barn, as far as the blinkers, it, they're just trying to figure out like, what, what is this horse? Is he a graded stakes horse? Is he a turf horse? Does he want to go a mile? Do we have to put him in for a tag? Uh, you know, I could see him winning. I mean, he's got some races that certainly fit, but just sort of the overall with him is just sort of like, they don't even know. That's <laughs> just sort of the way it looks like. It's like, is he a miler on the turf? Does he want to go long? Does he want to run stakes? Does he want to run an allowance? Let's try this racetrack. Let's try that racetrack, you know, and just kind of like throw stuff against the wall and like see what sticks is just sort of what this horse's racing career looks like to me. Yeah. And yeah he, he ran fast as a two-year-old and he ran fast as a three-year-old. So he's he's definitely got it in him. The one thing that I would add on this horse is if you can check out the workout reports, either DRF or Andy Harrington, he ran a one thirteen and two six furlong bullet workout on January 18th. And if that workout, sometimes the horse indicates, you know, like there, there's some indication in the viewing of that workout report that he's looks like a new horse or that he just looks really healthy. If it seems like an improvement over what he's done in the past, that's, and, and you know, he's putting blinkers on. So that's, that's another difference. I, I don't know that that would make a difference, but um, the workout report could shine a little bit more light on this horse. He's certainly, especially as we're, we're, we're coming on to the NHC, he's one of these horses that you might want to play in one, in an NHC race, especially if it's a mandatory and you want, and you need a price. He's, he's the kind of horse that could based on those back class numbers and, and all the new changes that he's back on dirt after a freshening with a new trainer with blinkers on, he's, he's, he's a horse to consider. Yeah, and I'd say those connections have done real well, um, the owner and trainer together with the acquisitions. I don't know if he owned this horse and, and they just shipped it out or he bought the horse. I'm not sure what, which it was. Um, it's, uh, it's an ownership change from what I'm seeing. Winchell Thoroughbreds to Hironis. Yeah, good. So that to me, you know, they, they've had a lot of success with this kind of horse. I can name a few of them where they've acquired them. And I kind of like that. I did did overlook that. I actually like it better that it was off the turf and then he runs a big race. That again, just shows me that his preferences for dirt, I think. And um, it will be interesting. I, I think he's an interesting horse in here. Uh, I'm not uh, going crazy or anything, but in a pretty wide open race, this horse has the kind of back class. Um, and it looks like he, you know, might be pointed to a, a, an interesting race if he can get the trip. Um, and he should be a big price. Yeah, he's 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 three for ten on fast dirt with seven in the money finishes, and he's zero for twelve everywhere else. So clearly, this horse prefers dirt, and I would expect to see him come back eventually and start running some good numbers. Okay, so that is the 
that covers the five races for today. Do you, either of you have spot plays at uh, in other stakes at Santa Anita or Gulfstream that you would like to mention? Um, I, <laughs> I know I, I don't. don't I don't as of right now, but, um, uh, or I, I, <laughs> I should be reluctant to say that I did the, the handicapping card for Santa Anita on Brisnet. And typically I'm not one to be like, yeah, buy my stuff. But, um, I, I put a lot of work on the card. I think there are some, some, uh, value options earlier on the card. So, um, that's up on, on brisnet.com under the daily selections at, at Brisnet. Okay. There, you gave her a chance to plug her selections. That was good, Scott. I do I have rarely, a I rarely, I rarely <laughs> do it, too. I rarely do it. And, you know, I do it a little bit different than most people to that want to do picks is I try to provide more analysis. So it, it kind of gives, like, the way that we're talking through the races. Because um, sometimes people don't have a friend to kind of bounce ideas off of. And so that's the try to – I try to provide that value to people that are playing the horse just to have another opinion or maybe I like that horse. And then you read someone's opinion and like, well, I liked him before, but now I'm going to single him. Um, so that's kind of the way that I, I sort of approach, um, you know, doing the, the selections over at Brisnet. Well, Scott and I are all behind that. It's not just who you like but why. That's the value in the discussion. So that's exactly the way to do it. Um, I did have a couple of horses on the Gulfstream turf races. I actually thought they were a lot better than the dirt races we talked about. Uh, one of them is in the eighth race at Gulfstream. The four-horse cheermeister, who I touted last time on, he ran on the pod, or she ran on the pod. Uh, she broke through the gate for the race, so you just scratch that race completely. No chance. And I, I liked her heading into that race. I still like her. I think she looked really good in a race before that. and. You know, there's one other speed horse. Um, I think this horse could either track that horse or get the lead. Could be really dangerous, and there's 10 to 1 on the morning line. I think it looks really strong. And then in the um, the 10th race, um, that's a, the analog. It's the boys go on the turf, three-year-old boys. And uh, Famished, the nine horse, um, has run some really good races, including a uh, a close finish destructor, the the best three year old um, or two year old uh, turf horse last year. Um, it's six to one on the morning line. I read jumps on, so I'm wondering if you'll get six to one. But if you do, that's a really good price. And if you don't, the eleven horse in that same race, Sprawl, is going first time turf with some really good turf breeding and some excuses for his dirt races, which are still pretty good. Um, he's, he's for Bill Mott, who's not real good on first turf horses, but I think this horse is breeding and, and form make him really playable. The post is kind of tough with Johnny V because he likes to go wide, but he'll be a big price. So, um, uh, that's the nine famished and 11 sprawl in the 10th race at Gulfstream. And then the four cheermeister in the eighth race at Gulfstream. Along with the one sunset promise in an eighth race, I think not. It, he's only nine to, or she's only nine to two on the morning line, but she looks really solid as well in there. So I think those are two good betting races. Those turf races that are um, in or in between the dirt races we talked about. And I will say about Bill Mott, first time turf lifetime. He is he is a one ninety nine ROI, so he beats the takeout on first time turfers. 
with sprawl. Uh, I, I won't, I won't venture an opinion in that race because I, I haven't really looked at it. I would agree with you just really quickly looking at those figs on Cheermeister, And I would expect a lower price than 10 to one because he ran so much faster in his first, uh, in his race before the, the breaking through the gate race. So, uh, so, so there's a couple of plays to keep in mind at Gulfstream. And I say, before we wrap this up, I want to say thank you to our guest handicapper, Emily Gulkson. Oh, thank you. It was my pleasure. Since the NHC is February 7th through 9th next week, and note again that we will not be doing a pod next week, we thought we would mention a, we would go over some strategies for preparing for the NHC. And this can be, these strategies can be used by people who've already qual- have qualified and competed in the past or complete newbies. Certainly, it took me 10 years before I cashed. And so it, it takes me a long time to learn. But there were a few things that I did that were different that allowed me to cash. And But before I go over my list of things, Chris... What would you say uh, are are the best ways to prepare for the NHC? Okay, I'm I'm probably not going to go through a whole list. I'll start out, and then you can jump in, and we can kind of go back and forth. But I think the main things I would say is first of all, try to go in there as prepared as you can, and have some sort of plan. And everybody may have a different plan, but have a plan and try to stick to it at least through the first day and a half or so, you know, don't abandon your plan just because it's not working after a few races. So, you know, have a plan, you know, be prepared, kind of have a a strategy going in. That's probably the most important thing. And the other, another thing would be don't try to do stuff that you don't normally do. So, I mean, don't, because there's free, I don't know, uh, Brisnet PPs and you've never used Brisnet don't start using brisnet or if you never use clocker reports don't start using clocker reports just because it's the nhc i mean stick to what you've done before don't change your your handicapping method um you know even when it comes to tracks and stuff uh you know play the the tracks that you are familiar with unless it's a mandatory race and then you don't have a choice and that kind of brings me to the understand the rules before you go in especially if you've never been to the nhc because it's very different format than any other contest. And there's a mix of mandatory and optional plays and there's cut lines. And so you really need to understand that and factor that into your strategy. And, you know, the optional plays are a big part of it. You get 10 a day for the first two days and then 10 again on the third day in the morning, if you make the cut. And that's where you really can focus in on your strengths. So, This is where you want to really focus on races that you feel like you do the best in. So if you like maiden races and try to do as many maiden races as you can, if you like, you know, dirt sprints, do it, find as many dirt sprints. If you only like two tracks then try to get all your play optional plays in those two tracks. So really leverage your strengths. That's your opportunity to do it in the optional plays, mandatory plays, then, you know, you have to play those races so you don't have a a choice over the race selection. But again, use your normal methodology when you go into that race. Um, So, you know, be prepared, have a game plan, 
stick to your plan as long as you can. At some point, you may have to abandon it if you're not doing well, um, you know, and play to your strengths. And then the last thing I'd throw in, and then I'll pass it back to you, Scott, um, I don't want to take all the time, is keep your mental focus. You know, you if you have a tough beat, which may or may not happen, you got to let it go right away and go on to the next race. Because if you let that bother you and you lose your focus, then it could just spiral out of control. Uh, if you know, get a DQ, bad photo, that sort of thing. Or you decide the last minute not to play a horse at 20 to 1 and it wins. You know, don't lose your focus. You've got to stay calm and move, turn the page and move on to the next race. And you also, if a, if a long shot start coming in that you don't have and you hear some guy next to you screaming, which is going to happen, I guarantee you, you know, you can't all of a sudden say, oh, my goodness, I got to start, um, you know, picking long shots in every race. You know, keep calm, stick to your plan. Um, you know, just you got to let those things go because the mental part of it's really important. And if you kind of lose your edge there, then you really have lost all chance. So that's kind of the, in general, the, the recommendations I would make. I have some more stuff I can toss in, but I'll, I'll pass it back to you for now, Scott. All right. I just have a few things. The first recommendation I have, which is it's too late for anybody who's already bought their plane tickets, but I would say you need to get there as early as you can. The difference between my losing every year and winning was that I, I came one day earlier. So I got there three days before the contest started. It was a Tuesday for a Friday start. And last year I said, I knew that that really helped me. So I even got there one more day early and I'll, I'll get there on Monday myself because preparation is key. And no matter how much you prepare, you're still going to be swamped on that last day trying to it, it's hard to get even through anything on that Sunday for the Sunday cards before Saturday night. So the earlier you can get there, the better. Uh, I also recommend if you are not already paperless, go paperless with like an iPad pro with a program called notability because it's, it's easier and especially with the sheets, I printed like a thousand pages a day before I did that. And now I don't have to do that. And it's much easier to get your information. You, it's much easier to find your information. The third thing I'd say is if you can create an Excel spreadsheet or, or get a friend of yours to give you a copy with post times. Now they're different every day and uh, there's often post drag, but you can estimate Gulfstream Park to be five minutes after the announced post time. And uh, what I do is I mark the races that I'm interested in in different colors. So if like it's a must play, then that's like red. And if it's um, watch the odds, it's yellow. And after I've marked all the races I'm interested in, I, I sort all the races that I'm interested in in, uh, in ascending order or descending order, wh whichever, but uh, in post-time order so that you can have a, a grounding. You don't have to be looking at monitors to figure out what race is next. You can, you, you can really get a sense of, oh, the, the next horse that I'm interested in is at fairgrounds in the seventh race. Here it is. So – 
So that's a really, I, I think that's a really useful thing and allows you to not freak out and miss a, a bet. Speaking of which, if you really love a horse, I tend to do this and it, it actually, it hasn't panned out yet, but I would play my best bets early because once all those racetracks are going at the same time, place the bets early, like for horses that you just don't want to miss and you know that they're going to be a price because you can always cancel if something crazy happens, like it gets pounded to three, three to one favoritism. Um, that way you, you can't miss, you can't miss out on a pick. And then, um, two other things, just rack up the points. Don't swing for the fences. It's, it's definitely good to pick some price horses, but don't do that every single race. Even if the horse is three or four to one, get those points. What Just do whatever you can to get into the top 10%. And if it's a mandatory and you like a horse that's not a big price, that's okay too. You just need to rack up those points because what I did for the first nine years is I would always pass any horse that was less than six to one and a lot of them win. So take the points. And my last point is don't socialize too much. I see people yakking it up all day and not really paying attention. And it's okay to, to do it sometimes, but just don't overdo it. Uh, it. The camaraderie is great, but this is a serious contest. The top prize is 800000 You don't want to lose out on, uh, you know, there's some people that are going to be holed up in their rooms the entire time. You don't want to give them too much of an edge. Yeah, you made some really good points about write it, even if you don't have a spreadsheet, write down the post time track race in probably the horse of the, the main horses you're, you've thought of in advance are going to be your plays. You know, put them in post time order because it does get crazy in the middle of the day when you have eight tracks running simultaneously. There's basically going to be two ha- tracks going off at almost any point in time and you have to get your plays in a little early and one trick you can use if you don't want to put them in too early and you want to at least get an idea of what the odds are going to be use the will pays in the race before so look at the probable double payoffs into the next race and see if your play is you know the favorite and the doubles then you're probably not going to get a price but if it's the fourth or fifth choice then you probably are and you can go ahead and make your play then you don't have to wait until the last minute uh when it gets in the line start to, to form and everybody's trying to get their plays in um for the next race and that, in particular when the mandatory races where everybody has to play that's the time where you're going to have the longest lines and if you wait till the last minute to make your play there then you risk getting shut out so for those mandatory races, you know, take advantage of those daily double probables if you're price sensitive or, you know, just stick with your play. If you want, like Scott said, maybe sometimes you don't sweat it. If you really like the horse, play it. If it's three to one or four to one, that's still a pretty good um, score if you can do that consistently throughout the three days. Um, the other thing is just to give you a sense for what you need, if you want to, um, continue in advance and have a chance to win you need to on average get about six to seven points per race so you can so whatever your plan is it should you should have a plan to get you that six to seven points per race that doesn't mean every race you get it 
But if you're playing all favorites, say if you're playing even money favorites, right away you can tell it's not a very good strategy because you'd have to win every single race, which is we all know impossible to win. So you you want to have you know if you're playing uh, five to one shots, then you need to and that a five to one shot will probably get you 15 or 16 points a race. That's telling you you better hit you know at one out of every two or three races to be able to get to where you want to go. If you're playing 10 to one shots, you don't have to hit as many, but I mean, kind of target that six to seven points a race, which is a little over a hundred points a day on the first two days. So if you can hit that hundred point target on day one and get 200 points by the end of day two, you're probably going to make the cut. And if you can continue to do that in the morning on the third day, you'll probably make it to the final table. So you know, that's kind of where you want to be. A hundred dollars at a little more, maybe after day one, 200 after day two and 250 at the end of the, the morning session on day three. And you might be sitting at the final table. So that's kind of a target. So your plan, uh, whether it's playing long shots or favorites, you know, figure out um, what you're going to need to get there. And then don't deviate from your plan until it, you know, it gets pretty late in the game, and then you then you may have to abandon it. But um, you know that that those are kind of general targets. They always shift a little bit depending on on what happens in those days. But that's a good rule of thumb to use as you plan. And the other thing to keep in mind is somebody's going to have a big first day, and they're going to post some big score, and you just don't let that influence what you're doing. And re- realize that those people probably had a career day and they're unlikely to reproduce that again the next day. In fact, often those, those people have a bad second day and, and kind of re- rest of the mean. So, you know, stick to your plan and make sure your plan is going to get you um, enough points to where you can, can advance through the different cut lines. Yeah, and regarding your double probability trick, I, I see an ad on the internet that says win the NHC with just this one trick. Uh, uh, canned laughter, canned laughter, canned laughter. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, and that's, uh, that's okay. all I have. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I mean, there's, there's other things we could go into, but, you know, also, and, and have some fun. Do not completely stress out. Um, yeah, there's a lot of money on the line, but the chances of your winning or anybody in that contest are not real high. So if you don't win, it's not the end of the world. Um, and if, you know, by the, the end of the second day, it's not going to be your, your year, uh, then don't uh, – throwing the towel there's a consolation on the third day and i've won ten thousand dollars on that consolation day before so um you know don't yeah, I, I won fifty five hundred last year on consolation day and i didn't handicap until that morning so anything is and, possible that's right and um and plus you can enjoy yourself you can fire away at the windows cheer on your you probably if you're like scott and i you're going to know somebody who is having a good weekend and you can root them home um, and, and kind of live vicariously through them. Now, Scott was at the final table two years ago. Steve Semenovich, who was a, a PH editor, was at, on it last year. And we, you know, cheered him on. Um, and that was fun. And so, you know, enjoy it. You, you, you can have a lot of fun, even if it's not your weekend. But go into it thinking, hey, this is going to be my weekend. I'm going to be ready. I'm going to do everything I can. 
try to execute your plan. And, and hopefully if things go well, you'll be up there, you know, with the 10 people at the final table. If not, uh, you know, you'll still have a good time. So, you know, that's the way to approach it. Okay. We don't want to inflate the length of the pod too much. So that'll wrap it up for our tips for the NHC. Hope you find them useful. That will conclude show number 50 of the PH pod. Good luck this weekend and please enjoy the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout. Cheers. Idiot. Thanks guys.